You're listening to Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN. Oh, what a summer night this is. What a baseball night that is. this is. Get to watch a couple of games right now. You heard Anita say before the break, the Mets and the Reds in a tight one. Bottom of the ninth, tied at three, two outs. Cincinnati trying to avoid extra innings after the Mets tied it in the top of the ninth on a controversial call by the third base umpire we'll tell you about. And the Yankees trying to avoid a dreaded, what would be a dreaded two-game sweep in Pittsburgh against the Pirates. A Pirates team that's young and pretty talented and wouldn't be surprised to hear from them in a couple of years. Yankees are tired of hearing from them right now. However, as they lead 4 to nothing in the bottom of the sixth inning. Luis Severino has been awesome on the mound in Pittsburgh for the Yanks tonight. It is Pat O'Keefe. couple hours to spend with you. We'll watch some baseball together. We'll talk some baseball together. Plenty of other topics as well. Of course, the NBA these days is always top of mind. Some football news, some news out of the NFL. A big trade involving a recent number one overall pick earlier today. So all of that and more. Whatever is on your mind as the number is 1-800-919-ESPN, 1-800-919-3776. we got Tom Bauer and Jake Montgomery producing the show. So we set the stage, Mets and Reds, and the Mets are trying to uh, salvage the rubber match of this series in Cincinnati. Mets offense has gone silent the last couple of days. They entered the top of the ninth inning trailing 3-2. to two. Brandon Nimmo came up with one of his patented opposite field line singles into left with one out. And then Starling Marte, a sharp shot down the third base line that went over the bag or did it. It was very close. I've got to admit, when I saw it on replay, it did not look like a fair ball. Now, that is one of, if not the most difficult calls for an umpire. It's a straight-up judgment call. You're about 10 or 15 feet behind the bag. You've got to see when the ball crossed the bag in fair territory. It doesn't matter if it lands foul or lands fair. It landed foul in this case. It's all about when... It crosses the bag. Well, the umpire, uh, young umpire by the name of Alex McKay, working third base in this game in Cincinnati, called it fair. It goes down the line for a game-tying double. Uh, Hunter Strickland, who was on the mound for Cincinnati and throughout his career has been known as kind of a hothead, he's continuing, as we're watching along in the bottom of the ninth inning, standing in the Cincinnati Reds' dugout, stalking like a madman, just staring daggers through the young third base umpire, uh, Alex McKay. Obviously, he feels that it should have been a foul ball and uh, not led to the game-tying RBI double. But that's where we stand right now. It's Adam Adovino trying to work a 1-2-3 bottom of the ninth inning and get this one two extra innings. Yankees, meanwhile, a 4-0 lead. They're going to the seventh inning in Pittsburgh. As I mentioned, Luis Severino has been on point tonight. Six shutout innings so far. He's allowed just four hits while striking out three. Uh, Yankees damage done in the fifth inning. A two-run single for DJ LeMahieu. And then in the sixth inning, back-to-back home runs by, of all people, Josh Donaldson and Joey Gallo to stake the Yankees to a 4-0 lead after they lost the opener of this mini two-game series in Pittsburgh last night in front of a raucous crowd 
at PNC Park. A sellout crowd, a rare sellout crowd for them, and they saw their Pirates beat the Yankees last night 5-2. to two. So Yankees trying to earn a split of this series before they head on to Boston for a weekend series against the Red Sox. Or excuse me, head to take on Boston in a weekend series uh, against the Red Sox uh, at Fenway Park. That begins tomorrow night at 7 o'clock. Adovino, a 1-2-3 ninth inning. Mets and Reds are headed to extra innings. Uh, the Mets situation, we'll start with them as they're, they're well, presumably closer to the finish line of their game tonight. Um, you're starting to see uh, the, the seeds be planted for what moves the Mets are going to make leading up to the uh, trade deadline, which is now three weeks away. August 2nd is the trade deadline. Uh, the Mets, have, as, as we have discussed for the first half of the baseball season, uh, unlike any time in their history, certainly have the means, uh, the aggressive owner, the aggressive general manager who has uh, been given permission to be aggressive, and the manager who knows what his team needs to get to the finish line of the regular season. Things are getting awfully close for the Mets. This is a big game tonight because Atlanta uh, continues to win. Atlanta remains right on the heels of the Mets. Uh, in fact, the Braves won again tonight. They beat the Cardinals 3 to nothing. So they are now two games behind the Mets for first place in the National League East. If the Mets do not win this game, the lead shrinks to a game and a half. Mets have a lot of games remaining this season against the Atlanta Braves. There are areas, despite this you know, fantastic start for the Mets, where they stand two and a half games entering today in first place in the division, a very tough division because Atlanta's played extremely well for the last month plus. Philadelphia's played a lot better for the last month plus. Uh, the Marlins are certainly not a pushover uh, as they hover around 500. And the Mets are on top of that division, as we all know, without Jacob deGrom and with Max Scherzer having missed seven weeks. The best sign of all in Metland last night, Scherzer returning, seven shutout innings, 11 strikeouts, looking like the Scherzer who the first uh, seven starts of the season was a Cy Young candidate in the uh, National League, a, a surefire first ballot Hall of Famer. You know, I was watching the game earlier today, and Scherzer's uh, up on the top railing with Jeremy Hefner, the pitching coach for the Mets, and, and they're chatting, and, and Steve Gelbs, the sideline reporter on SNY, is giving a report on Scherzer's interactions recently uh, with David Peterson. And, and they showed a stat where Peterson, his first, I think, seven or eight starts of the season, threw a first-pitch strike less than 47% of the time in each and every start. So Scherzer has addressed that with the young left-handed pitcher on the Mets staff, who has pitched pretty well as Kyle Higashioka goes yard deep to center field in Pittsburgh. Uh, Yankees increasing their lead to 5 nothing. But back to Scherzer and Peterson uh, and the story they were telling on the Mets broadcast today. Scherzer's trying to implore him to throw more first-pitch strikes, challenging him to throw first-pitch strikes more than 47% of the time. Uh, that's what you get with Scherzer. I mean, I was on the air on Sunday uh, after Scherzer had made his rehab start in Binghamton, and there was that great story about him paying for this incredible spread of lobster and filet mignon, as is tradition when a major league player does a rehab assignment in the minor leagues, but Scherzer goes above and beyond. He buys them all AirPods. Uh, just an incredible teammate wherever he has been uh, in the major leagues. Detroit, uh, Washington, Los Angeles, here in New York. And this is a perfect example of what you get 
with Max Scherzer. He is one of the greatest competitors in all of sports. He really is one of the greatest competitors that I've seen in any sport over the last 10 or 15 years. Obviously, his performance speaks for itself, but just look back at 2019 and what he did for Washington to get them to the finish line and win their first ever World Series in the history of that franchise, going back all the way to Montreal. He was not nearly 100% during that entire playoff run. He was pitching on fumes Every time he took the ball, every time he walked up on top of that mound, he gave the Nationals everything that he had to offer in that situation. Yes, Strasburg was the one who was dominant in the World Series, won two games in the World Series, and he earned the World Series Most Valuable Player. But Scherzer, when the moment was there for him, even though he wasn't at his best, he seized the moment and he gave that team everything that he had. That is what you're going to see in the second half of the season with the Mets. The high-level performance on the nights where it's not all there because there are nights like that for every single pitcher, whether they're a first ballot Hall of Famer like Max Scherzer or a back-of-the-rotation guy like David Peterson. They all have those kinds of nights, and you're going to see maximum effort for Max Scherzer. You're going to see leadership, and for the most part, you are going to see peak and optimal performance as long as he can keep himself healthy. But when you cast Catalog the Mets, and they're in the top of the 10th inning right now. The ghost runner on second base to lead off the inning. One out, Dominic Smith at the plate. As we continue to follow along, Mets and Reds are tied at three. When you catalog what the Mets need, we've known all along they need depth in their bullpen. And they are a prime candidate, as teams in their position do every single year, to trade prospects for another team's closer and stick that closer into a setup role in the seventh or the eighth inning. And all you need to do is you need to look at the teams that aren't going to be competing for playoff spots. Uh, Pittsburgh last night, Bednar came out of the bullpen, did a nice job saving that game, that 5-2 to two win against the Yankees. He's certainly a candidate for that. You look at teams like Cincinnati, other teams that aren't going anywhere. Find their closer, bring them in to your bullpen, plug them into a seventh or eighth inning role, and just give yourself a little more depth a little more options in the bullpen. The main thing that that costs is money as Dominic Smith smacks one down the right field line into the corner. So the Mets have taken a 4-3 to three lead with one out in the 10th inning. Smith is on second with a double. Uh, so the Mets with an opportunity for what would be a very, very big victory on a night where the bats really, well, the bats were going. The Mets now have, what do they have, 14 base hits right now. That's their 14th hit, but only three runs, and they had uh, to... Uh, they needed those back-to-back hits in the ninth inning uh, to tie the game at three and send this thing into extra innings. So the Mets, plenty of hits tonight, trouble stringing together those hits, which is why they're in the position they're in right now. But the position they're in right now is they've got a four to three lead. They've got a runner on second base with one out, and they haven't used Edwin Diaz yet. He was warming up in the top of the ninth inning in case the Mets took the lead. He would have come on to pitch the bottom of the ninth. Instead, Adovino pitched a huge scoreless inning to get this game into extra innings. And now, no matter where this inning ends up for the Mets, you're going to see Diaz in the bottom of the tenth with an opportunity to close it out. Uh, Back to the Mets' needs as we're bouncing back and forth between what they're doing on the field right now and uh, what they're going to be doing leading up to the trade deadline. Let me divert once again because Buck Showalter is out of the dugout. Uh, The relief pitcher on for Cincinnati just went high and tight 
to Eduardo Escobar, who did not appreciate it. Obviously, we know this is a continuing theme with the Mets this year. Other teams pitching them inside, other teams hitting them at a high rate. This one didn't hit Escobar. I see a few Mets right now climbing over the top railing. Now they're climbing back. It looks like much ado about nothing, but Escobar did not appreciate it. Buck Showalter came out to give his say, but it looks like uh, cooler heads will prevail here. This just looked like a normal fastball that got up and in around the chest area. It wasn't around the head. Didn't look overly dangerous. Escobar didn't appreciate it as he stared out at the pitcher for several seconds afterwards. But they're back to uh, uh, the, the, the at-bat here in Cincinnati. But you need, uh, as we're seeing throughout the season, more depth in that bullpen. And the Mets just need more offense. You know, the, the numbers are there, but it just, it hasn't added up together. And basically what it boils down to for the Mets this season. And there's uh, not a lot to criticize. And any criticism at 50 and 31, possibly 51 and 31 by the end of the night, any criticism does sound like nitpicking. I mean, this is a team that is on pace to win 100 games. But throughout the course of this season, it their offensive output has really boiled down to one of three guys coming up with a big hit. It's been obviously Alonzo, Francisco Lindor, and Starling Marte. And, you know, Nimmo gets on base at a very high rate and makes things happen. He got the ninth inning rally started today and scored the game-tying run. Um, Escobar, who just flied out to uh, for the second out of the inning, it's now uh, still four to three Mets with two outs in the tenth inning. Escobar's been inconsistent. Dom Smith's been bad. You know, McNeil's average is back to where it was a couple of years ago, but he's not the big run producer that you're looking for. So the Mets need that big bat. They need another consistent run producer to plug into the middle of the lineup. And these last two nights in Cincinnati are showing that because these are not games that the Mets can afford to give away, especially with Atlanta coming hard. And Atlanta's playing St. Louis this week. They're not playing a patsy right now. They're beating all comers right now. The Braves are beating all comers, and they're just getting better by the week. And the Mets know that. The opportunity is there for the Mets to continue to get better themselves, and they will with Scherzer now continuing to take his regular turn in the rotation every five days. And the stronger than it has been possibility that we're going to see Jacob deGrom following the All-Star break rejoin this rotation. So if you get... DeGrom back, Scherzer is back if you can keep him back, if you can get Bassett back, Taiwan Walker has been outstanding. His last month has resembled the first month of last season when he found his way onto the National League All-Star team. Carlos Carrasco, up and down, yes, but as your fifth starter, absolutely. As Dominic Smith slides in safely on a two-out base hit, Mets now lead, uh, 5-3 5-3 to three in the top of the inning, uh, top of the 10th inning. Uh, James McCann with the RBI single. So a little bit of uh, breathing room for Edwin Diaz when he comes on for the bottom of the 10th inning. Still two outs. McCann on first base for the Mets as they look to uh, win this series in Cincinnati after being shut out one nothing last night in Max Scherzer's return. So that's what we got right now. We'll continue to follow the Mets to their conclusion. Uh, Yankees. Leading 5 nothing, top of the seventh inning, continuing to threaten in Pittsburgh. I was in Pittsburgh last night 
for pleasure, not for work. Although when you do this for a living, those two things intersect a lot. Took a little road trip out to uh, check out PNC Park to see the Yankees in action on the road. I'll tell you about that experience. It was a fantastic night, even though the thousands and thousands of Yankees fans might disagree, but a beautiful ballpark and really a great atmosphere. We'll also talk about the NBA. Where do we stand with the Nets? Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the NFL. The news coming out today that Baker Mayfield on the move once again in direct competition with Sam Darnold. Mets making Cincinnati their house right now. Maybe Edwin Diaz can take a seat after all. They are going to the bottom of the 10th inning after the Mets scored a run in the top of the ninth to force extra innings. Uh, when we left you for the commercial break, it was 5-3 to three Mets, and then Brandon Nimmo, who started the one-out rally in the ninth to tie the game and scored the game-tying run, just smacked a three-run home run, so the Mets explode for five runs in the 10th. They have an 8-3 to three lead going into the bottom of the 10th inning over the Reds. Dari Moreta, the pitcher on the mound for Cincinnati, just a nightmarish inning for him. Uh, maybe the Mets were fired up by Eduardo Escobar's reaction to the fastball inside. Not terribly inside, if you ask me, but whatever the reason, the Mets, who didn't score last night, and despite a bunch of hits, managed only two runs in the first eight innings of the game tonight and were on the verge of losing a second straight game to Cincinnati. They tie the game in the top of the ninth inning on a double by Starling Marte that may have been foul. Take a look at it when you get a chance. Uh, and then a five spot in the top of the 10th. So eight to three Mets uh, heading into the bottom of the 10th inning in Cincinnati. Uh, Yankees in Pittsburgh looking to uh, earn a split of their mini two-game series with the Pirates. Top of the seventh, the Yanks leading 5 to nothing. Solo home runs by the bottom of the lineup getting it done tonight. Josh Donaldson, the sixth-place hitter. Joey Gallo went back-to-back -back with Donaldson in the sixth inning. And in the seventh, Kyle Higashioka, who's starting to get going a little bit more. And that's good for Yankee fans and the Yankees themselves because Jose Trevino has kind of come back to earth a little bit offensively. So the Yankees with that 5 nothing lead, DJ LeMay, who had a, a two-run single in the fifth to get the scoring started. Well, Buck's going to stick with Diaz. He got him hot. He got him warmed up. Obviously, Cincinnati starts the inning with the ghost runner on second base, so it is not a save situation, but Edwin Diaz is on to try to close things out for the Mets and try to maintain their two-and-a-half game lead in the, Amer in the National League East over the Atlanta Braves, who have already won tonight. Mets coming home after this for a four-game weekend series at City Field against the Miami Marlins. And again, the Yankees tomorrow will start a four-game weekend series in Fenway against the Red Sox. This is usually the final week before the All-Star break. All-Star game's a week later this year. Uh, it's, what is it? It's the 19th of July. It's usually the 10th, the 11th, or 12th. It's usually next week, but it's not. So after this weekend, you have another full week of baseball action before the Yankees and the Mets and the rest of Major League Baseball head into the All-Star break. Uh, as we wait for the conclusion of the Yankees game, and of course we'll keep you updated on what the Mets are doing right now, uh, the news for the Yankees, uh, twofold. First of all, last night I mentioned before the break, I was out in Pittsburgh last night, kind of becoming an annual tradition in my family. My father, who is, what year is this, 2022? He'll be 72 on Tuesday, on Monday. So 
My father will be 72 on Monday. Uh, my eight-year-old son, James, who's all in on baseball right now, travel baseball, the whole thing, and us, we try to hit at least a different or new ballpark uh, every season. And with the Yanks, James, a diehard Yankee fan, my father as well, uh, with the Yanks in Pittsburgh, drivable distance. Uh, we drove out yesterday, hit the game last night, got there nice and early, took a tour of the stadium. Uh, presumably at some point you've seen PNC Park, at least on television. It is as gorgeous uh, as it looks on TV. It's built right on the Allegheny River. There are three bridges, yellow bridges, so you can't miss them, uh, connecting where the ballpark is and Heinz Field, which is right behind PNC Park, connecting that with the downtown Pittsburgh area. Uh, when you go into town, you kind of stay in the main part of Pittsburgh across the river. You walk across the bridge to get to the stadium. It's really a terrific baseball experience. We got out there nice and early. We took a tour of the stadium. Uh, great statues out front of, obviously, Roberto Clemente, and so much of their history is based on him and the tragic end to his life after his brilliant career uh, and his work as a humanitarian. Uh, big statue of Willie Stargell. But just the, the views and the atmosphere, uh, it, it really is kind of an intimate setting. And last night was fun to be in that building. First of all, there were thousands and thousands of Yankees fans. Obviously, it's an interleague matchup. The Yankees don't come to Pittsburgh that often, so a lot of Yankee fans took the opportunity to make a trip, see their team on the road, and check out a really cool ballpark park uh last night's atmosphere let's be honest if you know anything about baseball the pittsburgh pirates they don't sell out like ever the tour guide that we were with before the game told us it was their first sellout in like 10 years he may have been exaggerating a little bit but it has been a very 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 long time uh and obviously the pirates got out to an early lead uh, a couple of home runs off of Jamison Tyone, who has been pitching so well for the Yankees, but had trouble last night against his former team. They jumped out to a 5-1 to lead. They win the game 5-2 to at the uh, in the ninth inning while the Yankees are trying to mount a rally. Aaron Judge, the biggest star in baseball, is at the plate, and uh, he strikes out looking to end the game. That was their World Series. Their fans, the Pittsburgh fans, um, were so into that game. It was an atmosphere that, look, I'm sure they go to however many games they go to, whether it's one or two a year or a dozen a year. Uh, that is an atmosphere unlike any that they have experienced in a long time with their team struggling and their franchise struggling. But when the Yankees come to town and obviously the star power of Judge and Stanton and former Pirate Garrett Cole, even though he didn't pitch in this series, you want to beat that team because if you're a small market team like Pittsburgh, you look at a team like the Yankees and think they have every single advantage in the world. So when you can beat that team on the field, mano a mano, it means that much more. And that's exactly what the experience was last night. So it's pretty cool. It was pretty cool to see the perspective and how much something like that means to another fan base. Uh, jump in right here to let you know that Edwin Diaz, a nice tidy one, two, three, tenth inning. And the Mets win by a score of 8-3, to improving their record to 51-31 and and maintaining their two-and-a-half game lead over the Atlanta Braves for first place in the National League East. Yankees lead the Pirates 5 to nothing. They have the bases loaded with two outs in the top of the seventh inning with Josh Donaldson at the plate. We'll step aside. When we come back, we'll continue to keep an eye on the Yanks and... Uh, talk about what Hal Steinbrenner had to say as he addressed the media for several minutes earlier today, specifically about Aaron Judge and his potential free agency 
for after this season. It's Pat O'Keefe on 98.7 ESPN New York. Gangs leading the Pirates 5-0. Luis Severino's night is done after six shutout innings, lowering his earned run average to 3.11 as he continues this monster bounce-back season, his best since he was a finalist for the Cy Young Award five years ago. Clearly, easily his best regular season since then. It's amazing how long he's been around and how much he has been through. Uh, And the fact that he is pitching at this level. That, first and foremost, is the biggest reason why the Yanks are in the position they're in. A record of 58-23. and Obviously the best in Major League Baseball. But... With the Houston Astros having played the Yankees tough in the last couple of weeks and playing everybody tough over the last couple of months, they are coming strong in that race for the best record in the American League. And the last time I was on the air, I I stressed the importance of that, and you can't overlook that. I know baseball seems to be the one sport, you know, because of the, I'm not going to call it the random nature of the starting pitcher, but whoever the starting pitcher is and what his stuff is on that night, that is generally the biggest factor in whether a team wins or whether a team loses a game, more so than home field advantage. So in baseball, home field isn't looked on as important as it is in basketball or as it is in football or even as it is in hockey, but it's still very important. And all you need to do is look at the last two times the Yankees went to the ALCS. Both times they played against the Astros. Both times they played six or seven game series. Houston had home field advantage both times. In 2019, the Yankees lost in Houston in game six. And in 2017, the Yankees lost in Houston in game seven after they had lost in Houston in game six. In fact, the Yankees did not win in 2017 a single game in that series on the road. They did win all three games at Yankee Stadium. So that's why it's incredibly important to hold off the Astros and keep an eye on the Astros. And the Yanks will play them again uh, not too long from now. A couple of other observations from my trip to Pittsburgh last night uh, that I just wanted to mention. First and foremost, just the construction of the stadium. And I highly recommend it to anyone who's looking for a road trip and likes to check out different ballparks or different stadiums. Yes, it's a long drive. It's six plus hours, just over six hours. So it's a long drive from where I live just outside the uh, New York City area. Uh, for me, well worth it. It was a great experience. The the coolest thing, or one of the coolest things for me, the back of the stadium, left, left field, center field behind the giant scoreboard and right field. It's all open air, kind of like you know Shea Stadium used to be in the outfield. Of course, Shea Stadium looked out onto a parking lot and uh, the larger part of the borough of Queens. This you have on the other side of the outfield fence. You have the end of the stadium. You have about 15 feet. You have the Allegheny River. And then the city of Pittsburgh just kind of like starts from there. And yeah, no one's ever going to mistake the Pittsburgh skyline for that of Manhattan and New York City. But when the buildings, the buildings feel like they're right on top of you. So even though the back of the stadium is kind of open, you have this feeling that these buildings are looking down directly at you. It's a very cool feel. It's it's a very cool um, experience to be a part of. You know, the other thing is the uh, shortstop prospect for the Pirates, O'Neill Cruz, this six foot seven inch ridiculous freak athlete who threw the ball 96.7 miles an hour last week on a throw from shortstop to first base. The guy is as fast as you could want on a baseball field. I mean, you just look at the team taking infield practice and you see a six foot seven inch man at shortstop 
just an incredible athletic specimen. Really, really looking forward to seeing how he develops. We don't get those types of athletes in Major League Baseball all the time. You know, those guys are in the NFL playing defensive back or playing wide receiver or they're in the NBA. Seeing this guy, that it's great for baseball. It really is. Seeing that level of athleticism, that youth and exuberance on a baseball field, I think is is great for baseball. Uh, and the Pirates do have some young pieces. Not that we're going to spend a lot of time dissecting the future of the Pittsburgh Pirates on the program tonight. Uh, but a, f- a fun experience and an interesting team to keep an eye on. Uh, the Yankee news that came out today was uh, owner Hal Steinbrenner speaking with the media, uh, which he doesn't often do. Uh, obviously, a lot of the questions geared towards Aaron Judge. The Yankees and Judge just recently avoided arbitration. Judge making $19 million this season. Uh, could be $19.5 million based on incentives. If he doesn't reach those incentives and continues at this pace, I'd like to know what those incentives are because we all know he's having a fantastic season. And then, of course, he goes into free agency. And that's something that's going to, you know, whether the Yankees like it or not, whether Judge likes it or not, whether Aaron Boone likes it or not, that's something that's going to hover over the team for the remainder of the season. That's why the Yankees took the unusual step for him of offering him a contract extension before this season started. Remember, the Yankees for a long time didn't even do that. Uh, they recognize how important Judge is. Um, they recognize that um, you know when healthy, he is. I mean, he's playing like it right now. If he's not the best player in Major League Baseball this season, tell me who is because he's right there at the top of the list. And in my opinion, and I've said this on the record before, the Yankees made him a fair offer, a fair contract extension offer of seven years and $213.5 million. But making him a fair offer does not mean that it was the best offer. Because if Judge gets to free agency, I find it hard to believe that there aren't going to be at least three or four offers that surpass that, especially in light of the season that he is now having. So, Look, the Yankees, some people want to say the Yankees rolled the dice. They took a gamble. They didn't take a gamble. They don't want his value to go down from what they offered him before the season because if his value goes down from where they valued it at seven years, $213.5 million, that would have meant that he would have had a crummy season or he was injured and missed a chunk of time yet again. The Yankees just felt that that is where they were comfortable going. And I agree, seven years, he's 30 years old. That takes him to 37 as it is. For those who say lock him up 10 years, $400 million, $40 million a year. Yeah, you. if you want to make an argument based on the market value of other players like Mike Trout, like Fernando Tatis Jr., like Francisco Lindor, like Anthony Rendon, if those guys get paid what they're getting paid, then is Judge worth $40 million a year? Yes, the answer is yes. So that's the tricky part here. But if you ask me, will Judge be worth $40 million when he's 40 years old? The answer is no. And you know what? If he turns out to be performing at this level 10 years from now, I will eat my words. But I'm going to take my chance in knowing that throughout baseball history and how players age, it's unlikely that he's going to be worth $40 million at the age of 40. I mean, we have two future Hall of Famers playing in baseball right now. 
guys that are going to run into the Hall of Fame exactly five years after they retire who have aged anything but gracefully. And there's a whole generation of young Yankee fans that would look at Miguel Cabrera or Albert Pujols and seeing these guys perform for the last five years and say, wait, these guys are, are some of the best players in Major League Baseball history? Yeah, they absolutely are. But for the last five years, they've been below average players, yet they are being paid like superstars. And that is what the Yankees are trying to avoid. It's a very, very tricky spot. He's their best player. He's their leader. He means a tremendous amount to the team. He means a tremendous amount to the fan base. But that doesn't mean you can just give him a blank check and give him $40 million a year for the next 10 seasons. Now, few people in baseball or on planet Earth know anything about the situation Aaron Judge finds himself in. One of them happens to be former Yankee third baseman Alex Rodriguez. He was on the show with Joel Sherman and John Heyman and was asked if Judge will be back with the Yankees after this season. I do believe that the biggest ROI for the Yankees is keeping Aaron Judge versus any other player. And yes, the the business will go on and the Yankees will always be the Yankees. But I don't think they'll find a player since Derek Jeter that connects to that fan base as much as Aaron Judge and more importantly feeds the Yes Network the star power that they so much need. This is a perfect storm. The most iconic player in our game today that's lacking big, unique, iconic players and the most iconic franchise in the world in the New York Yankees. There's a marriage made in heaven, but they both gambled. And I think this is going to cost the New York Yankees a fortune And I handicap it that it's about 50% chance that he comes back to the Yankees. Well, first of all, you know, I I think what A-Rod said is is thoughtful. Uh, It makes sense to me. Uh, If I'm a Yankee fan and the idea that he would come back, the chances that he would come back are 50% is certainly a scary proposition. He's right. This is the first time the Yankees have had this guy since Derek Jeter. Um, you, you see how fans throughout baseball, obviously at Yankee Stadium, he's the marquee attraction. He's the name on top of the billboard, the whole thing. But when he goes throughout Major League Baseball, and part of it is his size. I mean, he is the largest baseball position player ever in the history of the sport. 6'7", 280 pounds. He just commands so much attention just when he walks out of the dugout for batting practice. And he gets a reaction unlike anybody else on the Yankees. The Yankees, a team of stars, the Yankees themselves just putting on the uniform uh, increases your star quotient by about 15%. And on that team with two former MVPs, John Carlos Stanton and Josh Donaldson, and Garrett Cole's a big star, and Aroldis Chapman's a big star. By big star, I don't mean they're at the top of their games right now, but these guys, all those guys I just mentioned, have been huge stars in Major League Baseball over the last five to eight years. On a team with those guys, Aaron Judge surpasses them by leaps and bounds. Now, for Judge's story, he's two for three tonight. He's slumping a little bit, and the power numbers are still there, uh, but he got a big hit last night. He also grounded into a killer double play to end a rally, struck out to end the game. He's two for three tonight. The numbers on the season, uh, 29 home runs, 60 runs batted, and the average down a little bit to 281. Most importantly, he's playing. He's playing every single day. He's on pace to play more games than 
ever except his rookie season in 2017 when he had his best season, when he hit 52 home runs and drove in 114 runs. So with all that he's done in the first half of the season, what is Judge looking for from his second half? There's a lot of things, but I think uh, just keeping keeping it simple. You know, we got a good ball club here. We got a lot of good guys here that um, you know know what they're doing. Um, so I think when you kind of get in these dog days of summer, don't try to do too much. You know, stick to your plan. If you're a pitcher, if you're a position player, you know, stick to what you do, and um, just kind of keep leaning on the team. And you know, that's kind of what got us in this position. You know, every single night is a different guy stepping up for us and doing something special. So we just got to keep you know leaning on each other, and you know, we'll pull through anything. Well, the results are certainly there. They're on pace to win their 59th game this season against just 23 losses as they have a 5 nothing lead in the top of the eighth inning, threatening again. Former Yankee Manny Banuelos is pitching for Pittsburgh. The Yankees traded him to the Pirates last season. This is a good sign tonight for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one, first, the, the story on Anthony Rizzo. He's got uh, some lower back stiffness, some lower back soreness. He was a late scratch for yesterday's game. Not in the lineup tonight either. As I mentioned, the Yankees have a big four-game weekend series coming up against the Red Sox, who have played very well since the first three weeks of the season. Uh, First on Rizzo and what Aaron Boone expects from his injury in the coming days. I don't think a ton. It, it might end up being a couple days, but we'll see what we you know, have coming in tomorrow. Uh, he said it's something that's similar to what's popped up on him before, and, and it's usually a day or two. So I expect it to be a day-to-day situation, So, but we'll see. When we heard Aaron Judge handicap the second half of his season and the Yankees' season a moment ago, uh, he said something interesting that I don't entirely agree with. We'll step aside. Uh, when we come back, we'll dive into what Judge said and why things don't look as smooth, at least in my opinion, uh, for the Yankees as they're making it look on the field. So if you're a Pirates fan, if you're a local baseball fan, don't get the opportunity to see the Yankees that often, and you went to both games this series, you really kind of got everything you could have wanted. Last night, you saw your team go toe-to-toe with the best team in baseball, hold off a couple of late rallies, come up with a couple of big hits, and beat the Yankees 5-2. to But you may also be curious uh, about the Yankees' power, about the Yankees' might, just how good is Aaron Judge. Well, if you were curious about those things, then a lot of your curiosity has been answered tonight because Judge just hit a grand slam in the top of the eighth inning to blow this game wide open. The Yankees now lead the Pirates 9 to nothing with one out in the top of the eighth inning. Uh, all of this damage in the eighth done off of Manny Banuelos, who was a great story for the Yankees. If you remember years ago, he was one of their highly touted prospects. Uh, it did not work out. He bounced around the majors for a while and ended up back on the Yankees, uh, made a couple of appearances this season. But when the Yankees relievers like Aroldis Chapman and others started to get healthy and spots in that bullpen started to dry out, the Yankees traded him to Pittsburgh last week where he was on the mound uh, and served up that grand slam to Aaron Judge. So Judge, that is home run number 30 and RBI... 61, 62, 63, and 64. Uh, and the Yankees, a 9 nothing lead, seemingly en route to win number uh, 59. This is the first game of the second half of the schedule for the Yankees. A uh, 81 games having been played before today. 
their 58 wins, putting them on pace for 116 wins this season, which, of course, would tie the regular season record set in 2001 by the Seattle Mariners. But as I was saying uh, before we went to break, Judge saying that it's the kind of team where somebody is you know, contributing every night. That, that's not necessarily the case. Interestingly, that's the case tonight. You know, you have DJ LeMahieu, a two-run single to break a scoreless tie in the top of the fifth inning. But then you get a home run from Josh Donaldson. He hasn't been good. That's his seventh home run. He's got a two twenty-seven batting average. Then, of all people, you get a solo home run from Joey Gallo. Uh, for Gallo this season, uh, it is his, uh, what is that, his tenth home run. Uh, and he now has 19 runs batted. And here's a guy who's played virtually every day. He's a power hitter, and he's got 19 runs batted in, and here we are in game number 82. You get a home run from Kyle Higashioka, who also has a 168 batting average after a really slow start. Higashioka now has five home runs, and he's starting to heat up a little bit. He's somebody who, in his brief major league tenure, has shown that he does have some pop in his bat. But that's the amazing thing about these Yankees. Um, You look around the field on any given night, and you see Josh Donaldson underwhelming Joey Gallo disaster Aaron Hicks uh I would say disaster trending towards underwhelming to be fair to Aaron Hicks except for a hot month from Jose Trevino the Yankees really haven't gotten a lot of production out of the catcher position and yet here they are the best record in baseball and pounding the Pirates nine nothing in the top of the eighth inning tonight one interesting thing to keep an eye on Rizzo out the last couple of games, so the Yankees having to put DJ LeMayhew at first. That means Donaldson is ensconced at third, IKF at short, Glaber Torres at second. Really uh, no maneuvers to make in the infield with Rizzo, the guy, out of the lineup. But it's interesting because last night Gallo sat, Stanton was in right field. Tonight, Gallo comes in and plays left field, and Aaron Hicks sits. Guess who did not sit either game last night or tonight? Matt Carpenter. And not only did Carpenter play both games, but he's batting third in the lineup tonight. Now, the Yankees took him out late for defense and put in Aaron Hicks to replace him. But Carpenter batted third and played right field tonight. So what does that tell you? That tells you the Yankees were not doing the rest roulette tonight like they did on uh, Sunday in Cleveland when they had a chance to sweep the Guardians and they gave Aaron Judge the day off, and they gave DJ LeMahieu the day off. No, they lost that game on Sunday. They lost last night to Pittsburgh. In order to, They're already without Anthony Rizzo. In order to avoid a three-game losing streak, they went with their best tonight. And in Aaron Boone's mind right now, when they're going with their best in the pecking order of the Yankees outfield, you have obviously Aaron Judge, and then you have Giancarlo Stanton. And right now... The third guy in that pecking order is Matt Carpenter, who A, isn't even really an outfielder. B, as we know, wasn't even on the team to begin the season, but he has slowly moved his way up into a larger and larger role with the Yankees, uh, helping them to a 9-0 lead in the eighth inning in Pittsburgh tonight. We saw the Mets come from behind in the top of the ninth inning to send their game in Cincinnati to extra innings against the Reds, tying the game at three with a single run in the ninth and then scoring five runs in the top of the tenth inning to beat Cincinnati 8-3. to So the Mets 
breaking out of their mini slump in a big way with those five 10-inning runs. Uh, Yankees also breaking out of their mini slump in a big way. Yankees were shut out on Sunday in Cleveland, limited to two runs last night in Pittsburgh. They were shut out the first four innings tonight against the Pirates as their fans uh, started to have visions of a sweep against the team with the best record in baseball. Yankees' lead is now 10 to nothing after Josh Donaldson just scored Aaron Hicks with a sacrifice fly to left field in the top of the eighth inning. Uh, your calls as well at 1-800-919-3776. Uh, Want to switch our uh, conversation to the NFL for a few minutes and... Uh, a big trade earlier today that really illustrates how quickly things can change in sports and how quickly things can change in the NFL. And, you know, the saying how the mighty have fallen uh, certainly comes to mind when I look at this Baker Mayfield trade from Cleveland to the Carolina Panthers. And there's a couple of examples in there of how the mighty have fallen. But just from the Baker perspective, uh, first of all, Two years ago, as 2020, you know, he could do no wrong in the entire city of Cleveland. I mean, they took a chance on him as the number one overall pick in 2018. It was surprising at the time. I remember for weeks and even months, the consensus top pick in that draft was going to be Sam Darnold. They, uh, Cleveland had the first pick. Uh, of course, the Giants had the second pick. The Jets, after trading up uh, in, in a trade with the Indianapolis Colts, had the third pick that season. And the consensus was we, we knew the Jets were going to draft a quarterback. We knew the Giants needed a quarterback. That was when Eli Manning was uh, starting to see the end of his career. And we knew the Browns wanted to take a quarterback. The question was, which one? Obviously, there was Mayfield. There was Sam Darnold. There was Josh Allen, there was Josh Rosen, uh, there was Lamar Jackson, who for the months leading up to that draft wasn't even really thought of as a first-round pick. In fact, he was barely a first-round pick because he was the final selection in the first round of that 2018 draft. But this was a draft leading up to it, a quarterback class that was being compared with some of the best quarterback draft classes in NFL history. I mean, the class of 1983 is still probably the gold standard with John Elway and Jim Kelly and Dan Marino, plus three other QBs who were picked in the first round, including Ken O'Brien, who had a solid couple of years as the quarterback with the Jets. Um, the class of 2004, certainly one of the best ever. Ben Roethlisberger, two Super Bowl championships. Eli Manning, two Super Bowl championships and two Super Bowl MVPs. And Phillip Rivers, uh, a top 10 in many, many statistical categories uh, throughout his long career with the Chargers. And the class of 2018 was thought to be in that category. And the way, um, you know, history has played out over the last four years uh, number one, it's anything but in that category. And number two, everything that we thought about that quarterback class going in was upside down. I mean, the question was, it really wasn't even much of a question. If you can go back to that uh, offseason leading up to the draft in 2018, when we were all trying to figure out who Cleveland was going to pick, number one, it was Sam Darnold. It really, really was. I was strongly in the camp that the Giants should take a quarterback. Now, 
history has said, okay, well, my instincts were right because the Saquon Barkley pick at number two hasn't worked out, largely, mostly because of injury. But not that you're looking to give me credit for feeling that way, but before you do, if you were looking to do so, I thought that if Sam Darnold was going to be the first overall pick, the best option for the Giants was going to be Josh Rosen. And he's the first one out of the league. I mean, he's nowhere right now. I didn't have Josh Allen. Uh, I didn't have Lamar Jackson. I didn't have Baker Mayfield. So uh, Mayfield goes first, and Dave Gettleman takes Saquon Barkley, slips the gold jacket on him, chooses a running back with the second overall pick, and then the Jets. And, you know, you remember that was when Christopher Johnson was running the team. Um, because Woody Johnson was the ambassador to the United Kingdom. And I just remember uh, Mike McCagnin and the entire Jets draft room just celebrating exuberantly when the Giants picked Saquon Barkley, knowing that Sam Darnold, the quarterback who many, many, many people thought was the best prospect in that draft and should have been the number one pick in that draft, was available for them at number three. Obviously, that didn't work out. At no point did that work out. The Baker thing, and this is what makes today's trade to Carolina interesting, uh, besides the fact that Sam Darnold, as we know, is now in Carolina, for now anyway. But the Baker thing is is interesting because it did work out for a while. I mean, his rookie year, uh, Tyrod Taylor's the starting quarterback. You know, poor Tyrod Taylor, you know, his job description in the NFL seems to be placeholder starting quarterback. Tyrod Taylor's a, a solid starting quarterback. You know, is he a top 10? No. Is he a top 15? No. But he's better than at least a half dozen to a dozen quarterbacks who have gotten more of an opportunity for him. But Taylor always seems to find himself in these situations where he's the starting quarterback at the beginning of a season for a team that is just waiting to pull the plug and put in their high draft pick quarterback of the future. It happened that year in Cleveland. Uh, More recently, it happened in Los Angeles with the Chargers, and that was a medical malfunction as well as he was taking a shot that uh, stabbed him in one of his organs and uh, had to be hospitalized, inserting Justin Herbert into the starting lineup. He's terrific. He's never looked back. But Tyrod Taylor was the starting quarterback in 2018 for Cleveland. They hadn't won in like almost two full calendar years, hadn't even won a game. And, of course, fans around here remember the night that they got their first win. Taylor got hurt, left the game. It was a Thursday night against the Jets in Cleveland. Baker comes in, his first extended opportunity as the first overall pick, and just runs through the Jets' defense that night, doing just enough to lead the Browns to a much-needed victory, uh, an emotional victory. And, frankly, those first two or three years, those first three years of Baker's career when he was on the field, he wasn't that bad. You know, the team as a whole, there were expectations for 2019. After a good start, they took a step back. But in 2020, that seemed to be the year where they put it all together. They go 11-5. and five. They not only win a playoff game, but they beat the, um, the Steelers. They kill the Steelers in the wild card round of the playoffs that season. So you can imagine how much that means to everybody there. And then they lose a hard-fought game in the divisional round, one step away from going to the conference championship. And they started last season, you know, on the verge. They were the team in many people's eyes expected to be uh, the heir apparent or the team to threaten Kansas City. Uh, As we now know, two other teams stepped up to fill that role. First, it was the Buffalo Bills in their epic second-round shootout 
between the Chiefs and Buffalo. And then, of course, the following week, Joe Burrow and the Bengals got the best of Kansas City, and they were the ones who went to the Super Bowl. While that was happening, Baker injured his shoulder. He tried to gut it out, ended up starting 14 games last season. His numbers were down across the board. Um, Baker's always been a lightning rod uh, through good and bad. When things are good, obviously it's more tolerable. When things are bad, his strong personality, a lot of the comments that he makes, that type of stuff when he is not playing well, when the team is not playing well, is a lot more difficult to take. And they finally had enough in the offseason, making the trade with Houston, giving up three first-round draft picks for Deshaun Watson, and then signing Watson to the huge guaranteed contract, uh, leaving Baker Mayfield in limbo until now. So Mayfield is on his way to Carolina, where he will presumably battle for the starting quarterback job with Sam Darnold. Ironic. The second time in four years that these two guys are battling for a specific quarterback position. They also have Matt Corral, who was a third-round pick out of Old Miss, who a lot of people thought was a first-round talent. He's in Carolina, so don't count him out. But I, I don't see a scenario in which Baker and Darnold are both on the roster for week one for the Carolina Panthers. All right, so first things first, how did the Baker Mayfield trade happen? Here's Adam Schefter on NFL Live. Deal between these two teams came close to happening a couple of weeks back, and talks never really evaporated. The two sides stayed in contact, and Carolina remained as really the best and lone hope for Baker Mayfield, where he would wind up, where he would be traded. And so in return... The Cleveland Browns get back a conditional 2024 fifth-round draft pick that could go up to a fourth-round draft pick based on playtime here. Obviously, the Browns will pay $10.5 million of Baker Mayfield's $18.85 million salary for this season. The Carolina Panthers are paying $4.85 million of Baker's salary, and Baker is giving back some money that he can earn in incentives. But now the Carolina Panthers have Baker Mayfield, and they have Sam Darnold, and they are planning to have a quarterback competition this summer. Best quarterback wins, but clearly they've been interested in Baker all along, and you'd have to think that he will have a good shot of starting an opening day. And if he does start an opening day, it will be Carolina versus Cleveland. Baker will certainly have a lot to play for on opening day. The only thing that would make that scenario better is if the game were in Cleveland. The Panthers do play the Browns week one, but it's in Carolina still. Uh, That will be interesting if that situation presents itself. And I think it will because Baker had his worst season last year and he was injured. I mean, it was known that he was injured. I actually don't think he was given enough credit for trying to fight through the injury. I think a lot of people in his position would have just shut it down, uh, protected himself, preserved his own health uh, above the team. He didn't do that last year, and his stats suffered, and he lost the job because of it. I'm not saying that was the sole reason that he lost the job, but I personally uh, don't think he was given enough credit for doing that. More importantly, though, Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold. They have both been in the NFL for four seasons. Baker Mayfield at his best is better than Sam Darnold at his best. There's no question. I mean, we sat here for three years. I was among 
the people doing this. Sat here for three years making excuse after excuse after excuse for Sam Darnold. He was in a bad situation. He had a bad head coach. He had no offensive line. He had no weapons. And I understand last year when he goes to Carolina, it's not like he walked into Patrick Mahomes' job and had the infrastructure of the Kansas City Chiefs. I know he didn't do that. But what he had in Carolina was a lot more set up for success than what he had in New York. And after a good start, which in the NFL, if you know anything about bad to mediocre teams getting off to good starts, sometimes, a lot of times, those good starts can lead to good seasons. After a good start, Darnold and the Panthers were not able to seize that momentum, and he played poorly again. So I look at Sam Darnold, I'm like, okay, we've done this twice. You've had this opportunity for A, four years, and in two different franchises, you're just not equipped to get it done as a starting quarterback. Baker Mayfield has shown that he can get it done as a starting quarterback. Two years ago, he was a fourth quarter, a strong fourth quarter away from taking the Cleveland Browns to the AFC Championship game. So he's proven it. And he has proven it somewhat recently. Now, Jeremy Fowler, also on NFL Live, addressed the Panthers' need to upgrade at quarterback. Carolina felt, and everybody there agreed, that they had to upgrade the quarterback position, that Matt Rule needed help. Now, I was told not everybody in Carolina was completely sold on Baker Mayfield when they first started looking into him around draft time, but they all came around to the fact that, okay, we have to upgrade here somehow. But owner David Tepper, he was waiting for a, quote, great deal. That's what I was told, that he didn't want to pay 9 or $10 million here $5 million ended up being the sweet spot. And it's sort of surprising that Mayfield actually took a little bit less, renegotiated his contract to get out of Cleveland, but that's how desperate he was to have a chance to play elsewhere. All right, and look, the fact that they had to give a fifth-round pick, at worst a fourth-round pick, up for Baker Mayfield, they're paying less than $5 million of his salary. Assuming Mayfield's shoulder is healed, this is an upgrade for them at quarterback. And even if he's not the long-term answer at QB. This is a team with some pieces and not an overly difficult division. I know Tom Brady is back, but beyond the Buccaneers, who I don't think are going to be as good next year, um, they're a team that is not in an overly difficult division that should at least look at itself as a playoff contending team. A quick update on the Yankees. Uh, I know we got Jake and Tom uh, in the studio, keeping an eye on things. Am I looking at this? Is the starting second baseman guys for Pittsburgh now on the mound for the Pirates? That yeah, that is correct. And that's and what happened. Another exactly. position player. Yeah. And the Yankees have bases loaded now. So again, it's I, like their third time with the bases loaded in the last two innings. Well, this time off of a position player, right. so there's an excuse. But the score right now is ten nothing, and I I have a feeling that the score will not remain ten nothing for very much. Well, longer. here we go. I mean, <laughs> Yankee fans are sharpening their knives now because the bases are loaded with one out. Josh Van Metter, who started the game at second base, is pitching for Pittsburgh. And wouldn't you know it, it's every Yankee fan's favorite punching bag, or maybe second favorite punching bag, Aaron Hicks at the plate with the bases loaded. So we'll continue to follow that. Yankees uh, have a 10-0 lead in the top of the ninth inning. Mets already won 8-3 in 10 innings. There we go. Hicks deep to left field, and uh, that is the Yankees' second grand slam in as many innings. So it is now 14 to nothing, and Aaron Hicks's numbers look a little bit better after that. Uh, on the topic of the Yankees, let's open the phone lines. 1-800-919-3776, 1-800-919-ESPN. Let's go to our buddy Buddha in the Bronx. What's going on, Buddha? 
Hey, what's going on, Pat? You know, um, I was going to call you and tell you we had a Joey Gallo sighting tonight. <laughs> I heard something about that. <laughs> <laughs> my, that Buddha, that's, Buddha, that's my favorite punching bag, Joey Gallo. Uh, I think he's New York City's favorite punching bag. I mean, you know, you got to love the Yankees. And, uh, you know, we all get all crazy about them, you know, especially since they're the best team we got in this city. I don't care what you say. They're, they're the most dependable team, like, you know, in terms of relevancy. But doesn't it seem like it was a lifetime ago when uh, the Josh Donaldson controversy was going on? <laughs> yes, it does. Yes, it does. And, and that was their only, by the way, as since we started this conversation, Giancarlo Stanton just homered, so it's 15 to nothing. Um, <laughs> and that was really the first thing that that slipped the Yankees up this season. That was the the second series that they had lost. They ended up after winning the first game against Chicago, and then Donaldson makes those uh, ill-advised comments. They lose the next three games. They lose the series to the White Sox. And, uh, yeah, I was talking about that with somebody uh, last night watching Donaldson play, and we have not heard about that. Yeah, guess what? We're not going to hear about it because he's doing his thing. And I'm not even mad at him. I, I feel like that was like a little bit of a, a, a nothing – for some, you know, a little, a little backwards dire straits. But well, anyway. well, well my, my thing on the Donaldson thing is it's just not an area where he should ever go. And Aaron Boone said that. I agree with that part of it. It's just it's whether the intent was mean-spirited, evil, whatever you want to say, it's just not a, it's not a smart area for him to go. Yeah, I could care less, though. I mean, listen, we are where we are. And we're the front runners, so you know, let bygones be bygones. I mean, please, you know, we hold on to everything these days. But um, listen, the things you're talking about with the Baker stuff, you know, listen, Baker obviously is better than Sam Donald. That, that there's not even any question there. And let's be honest, I, you know, he got a raw deal, you know, from Cleveland. I mean, you know, playing hurt and all of that. You know, it goes to show you why sometimes these athletes feel the way they feel. You know, I'm not going to be loyal to anybody because the minute, you know, something bad happens to me, you're ready to throw your back on me. And, you know, God God, God willing, Deshaun Watson will play a game for them, but you don't even know what's going to happen in the next year with that. So, I, I you know, I throw that out the, out, out the window. And, you know, and let's be honest, even when they played head-to-head as rookies, you know, Baker Mayfield was better than Sam Donald. But, you know, look at this from a Jets perspective, Pat, you know, which I always got to do, you know, this is my burden and my curse. You know, I'm looking at, like, the Baker Mayfield versus Sam Donald, and, you know, it reminds it, it really reminds me, not currently, of, like, Zach Wilson versus Mac Jones. You know, um, Sam Donald had all those gifts that they were talking about, the size, the mobility, you know, the arm strength, and it never really came to fruition. So now, and, and I'm not ready to throw Zach Wilson away. And when I say that, this, I'm not, I'm, when I talk about this, I'm not ready to throw him away. It's only been one year. But, you know, there was a big disparity in terms of being able to play the quarterback position between him and Mac Jones. So, you know, sometimes that levels off, you know, the athleticism. I wanted the Jets to draft Justin Fields over Lawrence and Zach Wilson, but I'm not ready to throw him away, you know, this fast. But, you know, it's, you know, sometimes when you're evaluating these players and quarterbacks and things like that, you know, the competition you played against, the amount of big games you played in, sometimes that means something. And if Zach Wilson is not turn out to be better, you know, in terms of the holistic uh, whatever he is as a quarterback than Matt Jones, like Joe Douglas, Robert Caesar Sala, 
these guys are going to be done, man. Listen, I hear you. Thanks for the call, as always. Um, the, the the way you look at it is, and it's not just the Jets, although in here in New York and we're the station of the Jets, that's who we primarily focus on. But the 49ers did the same exact thing with Trey Lance right after Zach Wilson, and not only uh, drafting him, but trading a whole bunch of capital to move up to number three when they already had a quarterback on the roster, by the way, who just took them to the NFC Championship game. But back to Zach Wilson, the comparisons uh, between the Wilson-Mac Jones situation, and I agree, uh, those two guys, for as long as they're on their current teams, are going to be compared until the end of time. But the comparison between that situation and the comparison to the Sam Darnold-Baker-Mayfield situation is this. Mayfield was the guy who stepped into a much better situation than did Sam Darnold. And Mac Jones obviously stepped into a much better situation than Zach Wilson. I think the Jets' infrastructure has closed the gap on New England's. I don't think there's such a disparity in weapons between what Mac Jones has available to him and Zach Wilson. I personally, just the eyeball test, watching the two of them play their rookie seasons, I love the physical tools. I like a lot the physical tools of Zach Wilson, and I'm excited to see him put them to use. I think his physical tools are greater uh, than those of Mac Jones. So now that the Jets have improved, I think the Patriots are not as good. We'll see if Zach can close the gap on Mac Jones this coming season. Yankees and Pirates. Pirates finally got out of the top of the ninth inning. Uh, Yankees leading 16 to nothing. The line score is interesting. This was a scoreless game entering the top of the fifth uh, when the Yankees scored two and then two more in the sixth, one in the seventh, five in the eighth, and six runs in the ninth. Now, the six runs in the ninth inning all came off of Josh Van Metter, who started the game for Pittsburgh as the second baseman. But I'll tell you this. The two games here in Pittsburgh, which the Yankees will end up splitting after losing last night and up 16-0 in the bottom of the ninth tonight, the best thing to come out of these two games in Pittsburgh has been a Roldis Chapman. Last night, Aaron Boone brought him in, and it was still a game when he brought him in. It was 5-2, to two, got him an innings worth of work. Chapman went 1-2-3. Today brings him back, back-to-back games, back-to-back days for Chapman, Another 1-2-3 inning with a strikeout. Got through the uh, eighth inning, throwing just 10 pitches. Look, I understand that Yankee fans are frustrated with Chapman. Um, He wasn't pitching terribly well even before the injury. Then he got hurt. Clay Holmes has seized that role, and no one wants to see Clay Holmes give up the closers role. And, And why should you? He's earned it. And I got news for you. He's not giving up the closers role. But you don't think that a Roldis Chapman who still can pump it in there at 100 miles an hour and is left-handed, you don't think that he could be an important piece out of the bullpen in the playoffs pitching the seventh or the eighth inning? First of all, the guy's been in big situations his entire career. Not that he always comes through. See the 2019 ALCS or the 2020 ALDS. Um, the other question that I've heard people raise about Aroldis Chapman is would he accept a setup role? I Absolutely. Remember what he did in 2016 for the Cubs? And I understand he was still the closer then. But Joe Madden would pitch him two, two and two thirds, three and a third innings at a clip because as that playoff run and World Series went on, there were fewer and fewer people in the Cubs bullpen 
who Madden trusted, he probably took like two years off of Chapman's career for all the extra work. Chapman never once complained. And even in Game 7 of that World Series in Cleveland, when Rajay Davis hit that monstrous home run to tie the game, and it felt like Cleveland was going to come back and win, Chapman had to throw up another zero in the following inning on absolute fumes before the rain delay, before the Cubs had a chance to come back and win that Game 7. And that inning that he threw after giving up what a lot of relievers would have, for them, would have been just an absolutely crippling home run. The fact that he came back the next inning and held the Indians, where the Cleveland Indians then, where they were, says a lot about him. So my point is, 100 miles an hour, left-handed pitcher, been in big spots. That can only be good for the Yankees if you can get that guy back in the mix. Plus, let's be honest, Clay Holmes, as good as he's been, has never done this on a consistent basis throughout the course of his career. So what if he stumbles in the second half? So the Yankees, as you're looking at putting the pieces together for a potential playoff run, um, which is inevitable at this point, uh, Chapman could be an important piece there. This, this is the Pat O'Keefe Show.